Our scripture reading for today is John chapter 1. And so if you have a Bible, open it up and join me. The Gospel of John chapter 1, beginning at verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Now this was John's testimony. When the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was, he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, well, then who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, then why do you baptize if you're not the Messiah nor Elijah nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What we're going to find as we get into the beginnings of John's gospel is that there are time after time references to light. And as I was studying this passage this week, I thought, you know, even in, in our language today, it's actually quite common for us to use phrases that invoke the idea of light. For example, we say, I've seen the light when we understand something or have an epiphany. And an artist, if they're drawing a person who has a new idea, they'll use a light bulb over their heads to illustrate that. Of course, if it's a good idea, we might call it a bright idea. And if you still don't understand something, somebody may come alongside you to shed some light on it until it dawns on you. When somebody talks about you to other people, it's always nice if they put you in a favorable light, isn't it? And when we're going through seasons where we're looking for hope and we see hope coming, we say there is light at the end of the tunnel. When somebody has a near-death experience, it's often described as seeing a bright light while their loved ones say, don't follow the light, when my kids are exhausted and they hit their heads on the pillow after a long day for some much-needed rest, we say they were out like a light. When I was in high school, I had some friends that drove some fast cars. And if I was driving in the passenger seat and I wanted them to show off, I'd tell them, light it up, let's go. My kids tell me that if you're trying to be cool and you want to start some fun at a party, you light it up like dynamite. And if there's someone at that party that feels kind of mopey, you might light a fire under them to get them to get up and dance, unless, of course, they don't want to be in the spot. Lights. I was thinking back on the day that I saw my wife Alyssa when we got married. She walked down the aisle in her dress. My eyes lit up. She's the light of my life. And ever since we got married, I've seen things in a whole new light. 
And she's sitting here and is embarrassed and hoping that I'll stop with the light references. <laughs> you get the point, though, don't you? Whether you realize it or not, even in the, the subtleness of our own language, we're all searching for light. And so that's how we begin, because today we're going to learn about what the source of that light is. Today is the third week in the season in the church we call Advent. It's the season I shared last Sunday that I have personally been looking forward to more than any other season of the year. Not because the season is easy, but because it reflects the season that we're all living through in history right now. Advent is a season of waiting. It's a season of preparing for the lights to come on Christmas. It's, it's the world with its hands outstretched waiting to receive the light of hope. It's, it's what our Advent wreath is all about as we light the candles of hope and peace and joy and love. It's in preparation for being reminded of the source of all of those things, which is the light that we light on Christmas, Jesus. That Jesus has come as the light. And yet last week, what we talked about was how the time in preparing for the light is part of the good news of Jesus. It's not the part we skip over to get to the good part, but that there's good things that God is doing in the midst of the waiting, in the midst of the preparation for the times when we are preparing for hope to come, even when we are preparing with anxiety and pain. And we learned last week and the week before that of a man that God sent to prepare the world for the coming of Jesus on Christmas. His name is John, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. And the way in which God called him to prepare the world was through a message of repentance, which means to let go of whatever it is that you've been holding on to so your hands are free to receive the light. Light is, as I said before, an image that over and over again in the story of Jesus, according to John, is used to describe the gospel, to describe the good news. But in order to, to understand the significance of it, we need to go back a few verses and start at the very beginning. So if you're in your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 1. And our reading today starts at verse 6, but there's only five verses before it, and it's important to see how we begin. So let's read those first five verses now. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things come into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not overcome it. Jesus is the Word. He is the Word. The Word became flesh, and the flesh became light on Christmas. And so in these opening words, what we find is the author John, the disciple who Jesus loved, extends that love to us as we read it by whispering before he even gets into the details of the story, spoiler alert, I want you to know 
That as as much as this story is going to seem to go very dark, the darkness is never, ever, ever going to overcome the light. It's like one of those movies you watch where it's not very clear how it's going to end, right? Unlike the Hallmark Christmas movies where they all end the same. So i got to slip that in sometime every Christmas. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the movies you watch where you don't know how it's going to end. It kind of looks for a while like evil might prevail. What John wants you to know is this is not that kind of story. Evil will not prevail. The darkness will never, ever, ever put out the light. And I point that out not because it's the crux of our message today, but because I think we need to hear that same hope sometimes too. That no matter how dark the world gets, the light will never, ever, ever go out. And so John wants us to have that in mind. He wants that to be our filter through which we read the rest of the story. So now that you know that, let's go back to John chapter 1, beginning at verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Now, we're going to continue the theme that we studied last week, and it all kind of is summarized in this statement that preparation and waiting are part of the good news of Jesus. Preparation and waiting are part of the good news of Jesus. And this week, we're going to talk about why. Why are they part of the good news, even when at the same time they feel so very hard? Because I feel like I need to kind of add a disclaimer to the message we shared last week, and that is that that preparation and waiting are not easy. They're not easy, and and they hardly ever feel good in and of themselves. I I even told our staff this week, we meet on Wednesdays, and I said, you know, I'm really glad I preached that sermon on Sunday because by Wednesday, I was not really feeling it. (laughs) I was feeling tired. I was feeling weary. I wasn't so sure in my heart, even though I knew it in my mind, that these things were true. But here's the thing. The purpose of waiting, no matter how difficult it might be, whether you believe it in that moment or not, it is always used by God to help prepare us to hear his word and to see his light. And we see that in John. Now John, he he had one task, one job description, and that was to prepare the world to be able to see the light that was coming. But the world is so easily distracted and everything around him was trying to pull the message away from Jesus and toward something else. It's the same that's true today. And you can feel the tension of the draw away from Jesus in the next part of our reading this morning. John chapter 1 verse 19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. Now, if you remember from last week, what we learned from the other Gospels is that there were literally thousands of Jews that were coming from Jerusalem and all of Judea to be baptized by John. And so naturally, the Jewish religious leadership is going to have some questions about who this guy is. 
And so they come to ask, and I love it how John doesn't even record them asking a question, and already John the Baptist is saying, I'm not the Messiah. It's, it's as if when he introduces himself to people, he shakes their hand, and he says, Hi, my name is John. I'm not Jesus. I'm not the Messiah. Just in case you were about to ask, I want you to know that's not who I am. Verse 21, so they ask him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He says, no, I am not. Are you the prophet? He says, no. You can see his impatience, right? His his answers are getting shorter. You can tell they know they probably only have one more shot to ask a question. So they're going to ask a loaded one. Look at this, verse 22. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John gets as clear as he ever will be in in who he is and, and what he has been called to do by verse 23, replying in the words of Isaiah the prophet. He said, I am the voice. If you have your own Bible, I want you to underline that word voice because we're going to talk about that. I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. He said, I have come to prepare the world for the good news. To call them to let go of their sin, to let go of their anger, to let go of their past so that they can take hold of the light when it comes. But the way in which he says this is by quoting the prophet Isaiah who lived generations before him who said, I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. And this is significant because if you look at the word voice, this is written in the New Testament in the the Greek language. And the Greek word for voice used here sounds like phone, which sounds an awful lot like an English word. I know they don't look like that anymore, but it sounds like phone. See, that's actually where we get the English word phone. And I find it fascinating that at the very beginning of John's gospel, he calls Jesus the word, and then he calls the one to prepare the world for Jesus the phone. (laughs) And I think that's fitting. Because while the phone is important, it's only important if there's a word that's about to be communicated through it. And see, that's what John came to do. But it's not just what John came to do. It's what every season of waiting and preparation do for you and I as well. When we are waiting... When we are being prepared for what's next, those seasons God uses like a phone. There are seasons like the ones that we're going through right now that prepare us to hear the word that God desperately wants to speak to our ears. The question is, are we listening? Are we listening? And maybe that's a better question than the question I know I often go to, which is the question, why? Because sometimes we don't know why. And so maybe the question we should be asking is, am I preparing myself to hear whatever it is God has to say? Am I prepared to listen in the midst of this season? And what I find is that the more discouraged, the more exhausted, the more broken that we become in the moments of our life that we're waiting and that we're preparing, the more prepared at the same time we become to hear God speak. 
And I've learned this as a pastor. I've talked to so many people in the midst of the most horrific things that they're going through. They're, they're waiting for, for a diagnosis. Or I've talked to people who have, who've gotten COVID and it's been a, a terrifying experience. Or their loved ones have gone through it. Or they've lost their job. Or, or, or people that have become broken in relationships and divorce and whatever it might be. As they're going through that season, and many of you have been through those seasons too, it's horrific. And at the same time, we we say, I want to hear the voice of God. I'm listening now. I want to hear God speak. Now, when we go back to look at John, as the religious leaders came and were trying to figure out who he was, there's this interesting person that they asked him. They said, are you Elijah? And he said he wasn't, but that's only half true. And if you don't know the story of Elijah, here's the thing. In, in the Old Testament, generations before John, Elijah was a prophet. He was a prophet during a terrible time in Israel's history. And he was whisked up to heaven. And so God's word says that, that he would be part of the preparation for the Savior to come. He would be part of the preparation for the Messiah. And, and while John the Baptist was not Elijah, it's not like he was literally the same man that lived generations ago that came down, he would, Jesus later says, fill the role of Elijah to prepare the people for Jesus. And so we got to think about that story because it's significant to what we're about to learn today. Uh, it's one of the most fascinating stories in the Old Testament. And again, in this moment in Israel's history, they've grown so dark. They've turned so far away from God. If you look at 1 Kings chapter 18, the king of Israel is evil. His name's Ahab. And he is alongside a very evil wife. Her name is Jezebel. And she hates God. And she hates God's people following God. And she has brought before them different gods. Specifically, they are worshiping a god named Baal. And this has become insane. Everybody's following Baal. And Elijah seems to be the only prophet left who's faithful to the one true God. And so I don't have time to read to you the whole story, but if you look at 1 Kings 18, the tension comes to a boiling point when Elijah calls the, the hundreds of prophets of Baal to a contest. And there's two bulls, and each bull is going to be a sacrifice to their respective gods. So, so the, the prophets of Baal, get, they get to pick whichever bull they want, and they get to sacrifice it to Baal, and then Elijah gets to sacrifice his bull to God. And what Elijah says, he says, it's very simple. I want you to, to sacrifice the animal. I want you to spread out its parts. And then I want you to call upon your God to bring fire down from heaven and give up that sacrifice as a burnt offering to your God. And so that's what they did. He says, you go first, prophets of Baal. You pick the bull. You do whatever you want. So they pick the bull. They sacrifice it. They lay it all out. They call upon Baal to bring fire down from heaven. And nothing happens. <laughs> And it's actually quite comical because then Elijah kind of starts to taunt him like, well, maybe Baal's sleeping. Maybe he took a little cat nap. Maybe you got to wake him up. But nothing happens. Nothing happens the entire time. And finally, Elijah says, now it's my turn. He sacrifices his bull. He puts, he puts 12 stones on the altar that they built, each one representing the tribes of Israel. He has people bring water and just pours water over the entire thing 
thing. And then he calls upon the name of the Lord and God sends fire and boom, it's all gone. The water is gone, it's dry. Even the stones are burned on the altar. And it's this incredible epic win for the Lord God. And everybody who was watching, they fell down on their faces. And they realized that there's only one true God. It's Yahweh. It's not Baal. And the prophets of Baal were sent to a valley where they were all killed. Well, after this, King Ahab's wife, Jezebel, found out about the whole thing. And she was furious. And so she sends a message to Elijah and says, I heard that all the prophets of Baal were killed. I'm going to kill you the same way. You're going to die just like they did. And you would think, right, after, after Elijah had presided over such an incredible act of God, you would think that he would be like, whatever. <laughs> like, who are you? But the truth is, he's tired. He's exhausted. It's been a long battle. They've been living in, in, in this, this tension. They, they've been going through famine for three years. And at this point, Elijah just can't take it anymore. And so he ran away. And he ran into the wilderness. And in 1 Kings 19, verse 4, it says this. It says, he came to a broom bush, more like a tree. And he sat under it. And this is how he prayed. He prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than any of my ancestors. And he laid down under the bush, and he fell asleep. Now, have you ever been there? You're just utterly exhausted. You're not sleeping out of this like fulfillment of working hard. You're sleeping because you just don't know what to do. You're that depressed. He just wants to die. He's exhausted. He's been waiting for things to turn. He's overwhelmed by the tension and the evil that he's facing in the world. And he's overwhelmed, not because he's necessarily part of the problem. He's actually doing what's right, and it's tiring, and he just wants to give up and die. And look at how God responds. Look at God's grace as he's laying there sleeping. Verse 5, At once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. And he looked around, and there by his head was some baked bread over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then laid down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him, and said, Get up and eat, for this journey is too much for you. Yeah, it is too much for me. And so he gets up and he ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God, and there he went into a cave and spent the night. That's a long story. Thanks for following it with me. But I love that story. And I love that story because it tells me that sometimes it's okay to say to God, I've had enough. Sometimes it's okay to say to God, I give up. Sometimes it's okay to say God, to God, I can't do this anymore. Because sometimes when we say those words to God, God responds by saying, I know. I know. And then he sends his angels to feed you. And I experienced this a number of years ago. I was, um, was talking to a Christian counselor. And, and this counselor referred me to this story. And the time in life that this was was... It was the first year that, that my wife Alyssa and I and our family, we were a foster family. And, and I went to this counselor because I was exhausted. 
I was, I was just exhausted. We had gone from having two children, six and under, to four children, six and under, overnight. It was just insane. I see some smiles behind the masks here because you remember that. Some of you were here. It was just crazy. And I was at this point where the adrenaline had worn off and I hit a wall. And I couldn't be everything to everyone. I couldn't be everything that I thought I was supposed to be anymore. And yet I did not yet want to admit it. I went to the counselor's office to fix me, to get me to continue to be everything to everyone. I did not want to tell anybody that I was at the end of my rope. I was not prepared to say that I hit a wall and I wanted to give up. I didn't want to say that to anybody else. I didn't even want to say that to God. And this counselor was very wise. And he looked at me and he said, he said, whoever told you, whoever taught you that it's not okay to admit where you're at, whoever told you that it's not okay to, to admit when, when you're exhausted and you want to give up and you're just at the end of your rope. And, and I remember I had all kinds of excuses for him. I said, no, 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 I'm not saying that. I can't give up on these kids. You're going you're gonna to give me permission to do this? right? No way. I can't give up on these kids. My wife is counting on me. I felt called by God to enter into this broken system. And if I give up now, I'm just going to become part of the problem. Not to mention, I love these kids. I can't give up. But I also can't do it anymore. And he said, I'm not telling you to give up, Tom. I'm just telling you to tell God that you're ready to give up. Just admit to God that you're done. And I broke. I broke right there in his office and I cried like a baby. Because it was like I was coming to terms with the reality that I can't do this anymore. I couldn't be everything to everyone around me. And as I cried, it was almost as if God whispered in my ear, I know, Tom because I never made you to be everything to everyone. I am everything. I am the word. You're the phone. So stop trying to be something you're not and start listening. And this counselor referred me to the story of Elijah because Elijah had the same moment. Look at verse 9. The word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah did the same thing I did. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They've put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. He says, I can't do this anymore. I've got nothing left to give. And the Lord says, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And this great and powerful wind tore through the mountains, tore them apart, shattered rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire either. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. It was the voice of God. In verse 13, Elijah heard it and he put his cloak over his face and he went out and he stood at the mountain of the cave. And if you read the rest of the story, you know what God does? Just like the angels, God gives Elijah what he needs. He says, I am with you and I have been with you and I will be with you and you think you're alone. 
But there's actually 7,000 Israelites that have not turned their back on the one true God. There's 7,000 of them that are waiting to stand up and help you. I am with you. You think you're done. Stop it. You're not finished. And you're not alone. And God said that to Elijah in his moment of giving up. And God wants to say it to you as well. And that's exactly what God said to me on that day when I sat in that counselor's office. That the seasons that we go through that are so painful, that there's so much turmoil, the season that Elijah went through that brought him to his end ended up being preparation for what God had to come. And the same is true for me. When, when I left that office, those of you who know me, you know we survived that season. Sometimes it was just barely... But we were able to survive, and after a year and a half, we were blessed to be part of the transition for those two children to go back home and to be able to be there with their mother, where they still are today. But what I didn't realize was that part of God's story and part of his plan in the midst of that wasn't just even about those two kids, but it was going to prepare us for what was to come. And it was about three months after that season that we were eating pizza at the pizza ranch, because I like pizza, true story. <laughs> and my phone rang, and it was Children's Hospital, and they were asking if we would be willing to take placement of a two-day-old little girl who was just born. Her name is Sophie. And she's the same little girl that this last February officially became our daughter through adoption. And it never would have happened if we were not prepared. And we never would have been prepared if we did not let God bring us to our end so that we would let go and allow God to speak. Friends, I've lived this. And my, my guess is, is that you've lived this too. And that's why we can say with confidence, preparation and waiting are part of the good news of Jesus. And so let me just say it as clear as possible for those of us who need to hear it today. Don't give up. Don't give up. And don't be distracted by the earthquakes and the fires and the wind and the noise that's swirling all around us because this moment of waiting is like the phone and it's whispering with a voice calling from the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. So let's pray for that now. Lord Jesus, So many of us, myself included, are just so tired, so weary. And I know that, that so many of us who are gathered here are at a point where we're ready to give up. And if, we haven't, if we're not there now, we've been there before. And, 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 and if we're not there now and haven't been there before, we will be there at some point. It's the ebb and flow of life, pandemic or not, economic turmoil or not, political divisions or not. So, Lord Jesus, help us to see that this season in, in our lives, in every season of preparation and waiting, even the ones that bring great anxiety and pain, when turned over to you, 
can be used by your spirit to prepare us to hear your word that you might speak and shine your light in the dark places of this world. Help us to remember that that darkness will never put out the light because darkness doesn't exist. Darkness is the absence of light. And on Christmas, light came down. And through Jesus, that light lives in us. So help us to listen. Help us to to be quick to come to you, God, and not to make excuses, but to be willing to admit when we're at the end of our rope, when we can't take it anymore, when we want to give up. Not because you call us to give up, but because you call us to come to you, that you would be our strength, that the weaker we are, the stronger we might find you to be. And so help us now as we as we remember that truth, as we remember that promise, and as we praise you that it's by your grace that we can confidently come before you in prayer and ask for these things, that we don't need to wait for you to to pass by us as we stand on a mountain, but you live in us and through us. And this meal reminds us of that truth. 